The doc is in, and there's no need to stay in the waiting room for this episode of Health 411. Join Dr. Jonathan Karp as we discuss topics from health insurance to personal diet and exercise to up-to-date conversations in the healthcare industry and more. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Ripovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Once to add new skills to your resume, take a continuing studies course at Rider University. Now, let's see what the diagnosis is for this week's episode of Health 411. 107.7 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com, proudly nominated for a National Association of Broadcasters 2019 Marconi Award for Best College Radio Station. We are recording today from the remote Bronx studios at Ryder University, and I'm Professor Jonathan Karp. This Health 411 program is presented by the Rebovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and the Ryder University Health Studies Institute. In Health 411, we discuss a variety of issues affecting health and wellness, public health, healthcare policy, and the politics of health and healthcare. Our goal is to expand knowledge and perspective. Today, we are recording remotely with Isaac Harris, our producer, and we welcome you to listen in in our conversation. Today, we are going to talk about uh, something that's related to a theme and actually one of the reasons we started Health 411 a few years ago. We are going to talk about um, misinformation and disinformation that exists primarily on social networks um, as it relates to the SARS coronavirus 2, which is the virus causing the COVID-19 pandemic. What stimulated this discussion was a fairly recent, the July 24th article in the New York Times, um, which was written, it, it sort of focused on one person we're gonna talk about, but the information contained in that article came from an organization um, called the Center for combating digital um, hate that created a report which it called the disinformation dozen. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that. And because it comes down to when you hear information, how do you know that information is um, correct, is misinformation or factual information? How do you know it's true? How do you know it's false? Is this something that you talk about or um, in your sort of media classes, Isaac? Oh boy, Dr. Carp, you do not want me to go there. <laughs> yes, we do, we do a lot. Well, I want we to ask a question because you're you're sort of in the communications world. Yes. Um, you majored in this stuff as a college student. I'm a college professor, sort of in the biological sciences. Um, and you know, one of the things that we talk about with students is all all the time is how do you um, should you believe everything that you see in a published paper or a textbook or something like that? How is that framed? How is it talked about in the film and radio and communications world? Mm. Well, I know recently, as of recently, going over like the ethical standpoint on how this information, how it's easy just to write an article and spin it. Um, there's been generations and phases of this happening. So like this was happening in the early 
like early newspaper rise in the 20s and now it's happening now 100 years later with the covid pandemic and there was misinformation with polio so the i think we we it's talked about and discussed more because of social media because it's more instant news because you can instantly talk about it immediately same with like on a podcast you can record it and can be up within 20 minutes so it's it's talked about a lot and it's it's very disturbing to see how fast misinformation can spread even if it's right even even if you know it's just it's just, it's it's highly disturbing and what what we talked about in classes it's very sad to see how fast it could go yeah yeah and that's actually true i mean it's happened at individual level uh, where somebody just, you know, can say something defamatory or something, can put something in a newspaper just to get somebody to buy the newspaper. It can happen all the way at the national level. Um, you know, Nazi Germany did it, called it propaganda, trying to influence how people behaved and what they did. Um, it can happen at, at, on a small scale or a very large scale. And um, at one time, if something was printed, uh, it might have been believable because of the cost involved with printing and right. the effort that had to go putting into it. At one time, if you saw something um, in, a, in, a, in a visual format, in some sort of film, you might tend to believe it because of the time, energy, money involved in putting together the, those kinds of film. Um, and you would only put that kind of effort in if, you, you know, if something was you know, tended to be more legitimate or not. Um, but now, um, in a sense, words are cheap, print is cheap, film is cheap. I mean, anybody can post a video, record something and post it to the internet. And in today's world, we have social media uh, where you can put pictures, you can put words, people can create all sorts of like cool and interesting fun videos. But because of that, you can create just about anything out there in the world and you can put it out there. And it's something as educated consumers of uh, products, things that we, we might be um, wanting to purchase, uh, making having to make healthcare decisions in the time of the COVID-19 pandemic, and a whole bunch of other things. Knowing what's real and what's not real is a critical skill, I would argue, of an educated populace. And we need more education out there. Um, you know, to, to go on an extreme, not related to what we're going to talk about today. I mean, there are people out there, there are organizations out there making, you know, videos now and movies and selling t-shirts and having conferences claiming that the earth is flat, mm -hmm. you know, and despite right. the fact that you can get in a spaceship and orbit the earth, <laughs> you know, right. And there's footage of it. <laughs> and you can sail around it and all this sort of stuff, you know, there, there are still people out there and a lot of the people promoting those things are the ones selling models, selling books, um, you know, selling videos, uh, you know, uh, getting paid speakers fees to come talk at these conferences or all this sort of stuff. So it's a money making incentive for them to promote the idea that the earth is flat. Um, at one time, um, it's interesting that you bring up polio because at one time people didn't believe, and we've talked about this on the program before, that something that you couldn't see could make you sick, right? And I'm hoping that people nowadays believe in microbes, meaning bacteria and viruses. These are things that can get into your body and change the way the cells of your body work, therefore like causing disease. Um, yet there are people who claim you know, that the, the SARS coronavirus too is uh, made up. It doesn't, it's not really a thing. 
um, and uh, <laughs> or something that's not really a thing. It sort of does have a sort of a, a global influence for something that might not be real. Um, but almost anybody can put something out there. Almost anybody can create a website. Almost anybody can post something to Facebook. People can post stuff to Instagram. Um, and so the idea, any, oh, anybody can post a tweet even. And right. all, those are all aspects of social media. So in your classes, do you talk about social media? Yes. Veracity? Okay, and what yes. kind of have you talked about? When we talk about, I guess, because we a lot of this year we did specifically talk about COVID misinformation. We we discussed a lot of different things regarding to like how to verify the source is true or based off of you know how it was written, if it was valid or not, based off of the quotes that they were getting or the sources that they they were they were getting receiving to make this article or make this post or anything, or where they were getting it from and evaluate where they come from. So it's like. We, did, we also discussed like the metric of which one, which publication, science, non-science is accurate or not, or is accurate enough that is not biased or um, that is biased toward like uh, toward a certain audience. We, we talked about a lot of those things um, in regards to uh, misinformation. And so... This, this, is, this is an important thing to be aware about because ultimately the people writing these things, as you say, might have agendas. The people constructing them might have agendas. Um, and if you're not an expert in the field, like if you are a writer and you're asked to get some quotes from people, how, how are you supposed to evaluate what these people say um, to know if it's legit or not based on factual stuff and not misinformation stuff for, for me personally and this is what i tell everyone who asks me these questions is um when it comes to, and especially comes when it comes down to covid you have to i i would and i would dig deep as enough as possible find yourself in a rabbit hole and actually look at all these very sources so if it's a doctor saying this look at their credentials and look at if they've been like peer-reviewed or published that's that's my thinking when it comes to anything science related like if I'm looking at any type of science or health type of article or medical article, it's like, yeah, what that's, is this, what's is this it, guy's it, background? You bring, up a, you, go, you bring up an interesting point, and this is actually going to segue into what we're going to talk about um, in this program, is just because somebody has some letters after the name, does it mean what they say uh, meets the smell test that meets, you know, truth and is not just information? Um, and going forward. And it also is important because one of the things as part of the formula of writing um, that I've, I see all the time, like, you know, is when you write an article, you're supposed to, you know, write what you wrote. And at the end of it, you're supposed to have like a dissenting voice or something um, and, and saying something, a quote. Am I wrong? Or it's like, no, you, no you're, you're right. You're, you're exactly right. You're exactly but, right, Dr. But here's the problem. And this is what we're going to talk about in today's segment. That's part of the formula that students are talked about when they're taught how to do these things. However, when it comes to a worldwide pandemic, like the SARS coronavirus 2 or the COVID-19 pandemic all over the world, you know, over 500,000 people in the United States have died from this thing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it, having that dissenting voice can run into problems, especially with the flood of social media that's out there. And that's what we want to talk about because 
there are a disproportionate amount of small number of people having a disproportionate, disproportionate effect on the stuff that is being tweeted, retweeted, reposted, forwarded on social media. And that's what we're going to talk about. So we'll be right back with Health 411 after some brief underwriting announcements. You're listening to 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. This is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Repovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Continue your studies with Rider University's online and part-time options at rider.com edu slash next step we're back with dr jonathan carp only on 1077 the bronc one oh seven seven the bronc one oh seven seven the bronc.com recording from the remote bronc studios at Ryder university welcome back to this program help 411 i'm professor jonathan carp i am here with isaac R. harris our producer and we are having a conversation about disinformation in the age of the COVID-19 pandemic. At the end of the last segment, I brought up the idea, or the just the possibility, that there might be a lot of disinformation spread on social media. And when, we, when, I, when, I'm, when I mention social media, I am primarily talking about things like Facebook, uh, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Um, and you know, things that are sort of related to that. And what's, we all know that a lot of stuff can be spread out there and anybody can post a tweet. It doesn't have to be based on any factual anything that can be related to um, uh, what happened in early January. <laughs> uh, people have had their Twitter accounts stopped because of things that they've said about that. Uh, but there's also things related to the COVID-19 pandemic that can be spread. And some of it's true and some of it's not true. There is an organization called the Center for Countering Digital Hate um, that's been around for a couple of years now. It's a non-for-profit. And they published um, fairly recently um, uh, something called the Disinformation Dozen. Uh, that's the uh, and there, that's the main title of it with the subtitle, Why Platforms Must Act on the 12 Leading Online Anti-Vaxxers. And this is what they did is they went and did some research on things that are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and they trace them back using some of the algorithms. Some of these things have names that these organizations have to sort of track back and figure out where uh, where their posts came from, where the, the original sources of the tweets are, because you can just forward these things forever. Have you ever forwarded anything, Isaac? Yes. Now, when you forward it, do you sit down and think about it to think, is this real? Is it true? Or do you think, oh, this is just interesting and you just click and you just put it somewhere else? It depends what it is. If it's something serious, I do read it first before I forward it. Okay. But if it's something funny, no. Well, let me just ask you. So in, in the break, you received, um, I assume it was a text from a friend of yours with some news, right? Yeah, it was the ESPN are you, notification. Yeah. Are you, so are, are you going to go double check it and verify it? Or are you just going to send out that news to your social network? I'm going to verify it because I'm shocked <laughs> by the news that I received. 
Okay. <laughs> so you're, I, I, but what, what this article and what the research sort of suggests, the article in the New York Times I mentioned before and this organization's report, is that a lot of people don't do that. They, they look at things that are reported as almost entertainment and they send, you know, they'll just send out a link to a Google article or a tweet and they'll just, and it'll just propagate, you know, it'll, you know, you tell two friends and then you tell two friends. And all of a sudden you have this exponential rise in the number of people who are sharing information. And what this organization did is they sort of studied where this information was coming from, right? And this is, you know, and they found out, right? The quote that up to 65% of the anti-vaccine content that's out there. Almost two thirds of the anti-vax content that's out there on Facebook, Twitter, Google, Instagram, those sort of things comes, originates from a list of 12 people, mm -hmm. right? yes. which is interesting. And you could actually, in a sense, take it and say, is it, yeah, it's, it's 12 individuals that they picked out, but Two, well, two or four of them are couples, you know, partners of the other one. So you basically have this list of 12 people responsible for up to 65% of the anti-vaccine content that's out there. That's a huge number of people who you could argue um, are sending out information, maybe, you know, abusing the idea that, you know, social media or what you put out might have some veracity or put out in terms of truth. And so this is why social media platforms are sort of like just infectious misrepresentation of what COVID's all about as it relates to the disease, as it relates to vaccines, and some of the things that we're going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. The article in the New York Times that sort of stimulated this discussion that we're having um, focused it on the number one guy on the list. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. And we're just going to talk about the information that, that's in that article um, as it relates to this report that came out. The number one guy for spreading disinformation was a guy named jo Joseph Mercola. Mm -hmm. Okay, he is an osteopathic physician down in Florida. Now, he has a DO degree. He went to an osteopathic medical school. Does that automatically mean everything that he writes or everything that he posts or every quote that he puts out there, every question that he asks, is it believable? Is it true? Does it pass the truth test? No, not no, at all. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. All it says is that he graduated from medical school, which is sort of interesting. Um, what's interesting about this guy is he's not just a, you know, a, a DO, a, a, a doctor out there treating patients. Actually, I don't know if he treats patients or not, but it's very, very clear that he is an entrepreneur. It's yeah. very, very clear that he... Um, uh, you know, what the report calls a successful anti-vaccine entrepreneur peddling dietary supplements and nutritional cures as alternatives to vaccines, right? His combined personal social media empire accounts has over 3.6 million followers, mm -hmm. right? This is a guy 
who has multiple businesses, has multiple offices, employs people in the United States and the Philippines, right? To even beta test different kinds of uh, press releases to see which ones get forwarded the most, right? He has been for years promoting, he's been selling everything from tanning beds to promoting um, uh, like vitamin C kinds of uh, uh, treatments for COVID-19 uh, COVID infections and things like that. And it's not like he hasn't been on, let's say the Food and Drug Administration's radar. Um, a couple years ago on this program, we spent an entire program talking about the regular, regulatory, regulatory process for how the Food and Drug Administration, how it oversees health clerk claims that are out there and what its options are going forward. Mm -hmm. And this guy has been on their radar for a number of years. Um, in fact, they required him to send million dollars back to um, people who had bought these tanning beds who he were, was claiming was going to have all these health benefits for which there was no um, um, scientific data. Um, he wrote a book called The No Grain Diet, which, which is a New York Times bestseller back in 2013. Um, and so just because he's putting all this stuff out there doesn't mean it's it's true he put stuff out there and just for the heck of it i went to the f, f um the food and drug administration and pulled out one of their warning letters from february of 2021 um where they sort of cited him for uh, uh, unapproved and misbranded products related to coronavirus uh disease 2019 and I mean, just for the heck of it, I'll read just the first couple lines of what that letter said, because the, F the FDA has limited authority to do anything. But it says here, this is to advise you that the U.S. Food and Drug Administration reviewed your websites at these all these other inner, you know, at these addresses, where you direct consumers to other websites, right? And then what it says, um, these other subs websites it, sell things in the United States. And these products are intended to mitigate, prevent, treat, diagnose, or cure COVID-19 in people. Based on our review, these products are unapproved new drugs sold in violation of some sections, blah, 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 blah. Furthermore, these products are misbranded drugs under some other section. And introduction or delivery for introduction of these products into interstate commerce is prohibited under these other sections, right? And it goes on to say that some of the examples of claims on your website this, this, this establish the intended use of your products based on statements about the reported effects of their ingredients are misleadingly represented them as safe and or effective for the treatment of prevention of COVID-19. And it goes on to list 16 specific examples of that, mm -hmm. right? But all the FDA can do is say things like, you should take immediate action to address these violations. It's your responsibility to ensure that the products you sell are in compliance with the, you know, all these other acts and laws and stuff like that, right? We're advising consumers not to purchase or use certain projects that have not been approved. So this guy not, is not only selling you know, tanning beds, he's promoting all these like natural cures for COVID-19. This is the guy who's the number one, the top representative on the disinformation dozen for the spread of disinformation related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm. And 
Um, and according to this, the, 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 this information doesn't, they point out that you know, he writes articles uh, and gives links to other groups saying even things like hydrogen peroxide treatment can successively treat most viral respiratory illnesses, including coronavirus. And it points wow. out the number of times that that has been shared. Very, very interesting guy, very, very interesting approach. And I hope you see he's a, like a, you know, an internet entrepreneur and people have to make a judgment just because it's out there and it's out there a lot, doesn't make any sense. Right. We will talk more about this on Health 411 after some brief underwriting announcements. You're listening to 1077 The Bronx and 1077 thebronxcom This is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Repovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Continue your studies with Rider University's online and part-time options at rider.edu slash next step. We're back with Dr. Jonathan Karp, only on 1077 The Bronx. One zero seven seven The Bronx, one zero seven seven The Bronx dot com. Welcome back to the remote Bronx studios and the Health Four One One program. Isaac and I are having a conversation that we hope you are enjoying eavesdropping on about the disinformation dozen um, and sort of the, the misinformation that's out there. Why is this important in our current times with the COVID-19 pandemic? Even the reason we're doing this like remotely. Well, what's happening now with the COVID-19 pandemic is people are starting to get sick again. There's a new variant of it. I mean, there's been a mutation in the, in the virus and they're calling it the Delta uh, mutation where right now it's getting people sick again. And what the data are showing is about what 97% of the people who are hospitalized for COVID-19 right now are unvaccinated people. So the vaccines don't necessarily keep you from getting infected with the Delta variant and whatever's happening now. But if you are immunized, the chances are that nothing's 100%. The chances are you might get sick, but you're not gonna go to the hospital. And if you don't go to the, the people who go to the hospital are probably the sickest people who are in the risk of perishing. And what's interesting, we're talking about people who are putting information out there, even telling people they should not be vaccinated. They were alternative cures. And we talked about this guy, Dr. Mercola, who was claiming hydrogen peroxide can kill most things. And lo and behold, guess who sells a nebulizer on one of his websites? You know, a hydrogen peroxide nebulizer. Mm -hmm. There you go, right? Yep. And so, you know, here's a guy who makes a lot of money off, off doing these sort of things. Um, next on the list, the number two person on the list is a name that, especially here in New Jersey, people might recognize is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is a longstanding um, a critic of the pharmaceutical industry in general and vaccines in particular. Um, and, you know, what, you know, it, it's, you know, you know, he's well known um, for lobbying, you know, and some of it sounds really good, you know, truth in advertising in the pharmaceutical agency and stuff like that, but he's a particularly strong anti-vaxxer and has been for years. Um, you know, he has, you know, uh, posts out there to say things that, you know, the COVID-19 
uh, vaccines are threats to pregnant women. He claims that um, uh, the baseball player Hall of Famer Hank Aaron died this past year. Um, he claims that, uh, that that the reason Hank Aaron died was had to do with his COVID-19 vaccine, um, even though there's no, you know, the medical examiner um, never said anything like that. Um, and, you know, a lot of his stuff that he puts out there gets forwarded, it gets uh, presented as fact, um, it gets put on you know, these contrarian websites, these contrarian kinds of kinds of things, um, which I find very, very um, interesting. The third person on the list is actually a, a, a pair, is a, two people called Ty and Charlene Bollinger. Um, the Bollingers are, uh, again, anti-vax entrepreneurs. Um, I, and I should mention, uh, it's, you know, it's, not like Robert Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. doesn't profit. He runs an organization called the Children's Health Defense, um, which is a non-for-profit. You give money to them, it helps pay him. He sort of leads that thing. Um, and uh, they, he actually has, that organization um, has specifically targeted the Black and Latino communities um, with anti-vax messages, um, which is sort of interesting because the Black and Latino uh, and Native American communities are suffering a disproportionate amount of severe illness and death from COVID-19 infections. Um, uh, but there's you know, efforts to try to keep them from getting the vaccines. Um, the next people on the, on the disinformation dash, you know, these Ty and Charlene Bollingers, um, and what they sell, they have a, a network of accounts and all these social media things. Um, they, they're part of the people who says, you know, the pandemic is fake. Uh, but they sell books, DVDs about vaccines and cancer. Uh, they have a super PAC. Um, and they're the ones who promoted the conspiracy theory that Bill Gates wants to inject everyone as part of the vaccination program with microchips. Have right, you heard right. that one? Yeah, and I always ask, <laughs> like, so what's, what, so no one's tracking you on your phone, huh? Yeah, there you go. You can actually download your Google map, right? Where, where, everywhere you've been in the past months, you know? Yep. Uh, they, you know, they, you know they, they spoke at the January 6th rally, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so that sort of tells you some things. And they actually claim that the COVID-19 vaccine is responsible for deaths in Senegal, which has been um, disavowed. But again, what are these people doing? They're selling books, they're selling DVDs, they run a pack, which I'm sure they're getting paid by. I can't, I don't know that for sure, but I would assume they collect salaries from that. Um, and it's, it, it's again, they're, they're, they're promoting themselves, they're self-promoting. Um, and I think whenever you look at the kinds of things they're saying, if it comes back to somebody trying to sell you something, you need to be very, very careful about it. Just going down the list, number four on the list is somebody named Sherry Tenpenny. And again, just because somebody has some sort of medical degree doesn't mean that anything, everything they say is, valid. you know, valid, you know? So she is also an osteopathic physician. Um, and her big thing is false claims about the safety and efficacy of masks on her multiple social media channels, right? Um, and she promotes out 
promotes these things about wearing masks is bad. You make yourself sicker if you wear a mask. Um, she said, you know, uh, that she said, one of her tweets says, if you're wearing a mask, the more you wear a mask, uh, the more unhealthy you get uh, because it quote unquote suppresses your immune system. Um, it just, it makes, there's no data on this. There's no sense of it. It's just, you know, the idea, should you be wearing the same mask every day without washing it and all that sort of stuff? Probably not, right? But if you change your mask, keep it clean, um, it's probably not a problem. Um, and she's a, she has appeared on television shows along with uh, a guy named Andrew Wakefield, who uh, was one of the physicians involved with a discredited study that looked at the link between um, childhood vaccines and autism, which is a whole other topic of discussion, right? Next on the list is somebody named um, Riza Islam. Now, Riza Islam is sort of interesting because he tweets things like the, uh, the conspiracy theory that the COVID-19 COVID vaccines make women infertile. He mm -hmm. says things like, uh, uh, vaccines, the COVID-19 vaccine caused autism and higher rates in uh, non-white children, right? And he claims that Satan is behind the COVID vaccine and discourages audiences from receiving it. Again, of course he does. That movement, right? He was also one of the people who promoted the idea here in 2021 that Bill Gates had a role in planning the pandemic the worldwide pandemic. Hmm. Very interesting, right? Um, number, number five on the list. Number six on the list is a guy named Rashid Buttar. Um, he, also, he also promotes things on Facebook um, that COVID vaccines cause infertility. He's posted videos out there saying that the vaccines have living organisms in them, right? He's another osteopathic physician and conspiracy um, theorist. Um, he actually tells people not to participate in government-approved tests or government-sponsored research for these things. Uh, interesting guy, huh? Number seven, on, number seven on the list is to keep it moving along is somebody named Aaron Butler. I mean, oh, sorry, Aaron Elizabeth. Erin um, Elizabeth is the girlfriend of Joseph Mercola. She also runs something called the Health Nut News Network, an alternative health website. She has multiple newsletters and social media accounts. Um, her, she posts things like that vaccines are part of the medical industry's plan to create a chronically ill population. She posts anti-Bill Gates things again. She promotes hydroxychloroquine, which was never been shown to help. Um, and she actually promotes, she's the one who put the conspiracy theory out there um, that the Rothschilds family um, is sort of behind, you know, government sponsoring wars and things like that. So a conspiracy theorist to the max, right? And again, she is the girlfriend of the Joseph Mercola, number one on the list. Number eight on the list is somebody named Sayer G. Sayer G is a popular alternative health website guy um, with a very, very large social media presence on Twitter and Instagram. He claims that the FDA uh, rushed to market the COVID-19 vaccines 
um, you know, despite uh, life-threatening side effects. And he claims that the Pfizer vaccine has killed more people than COVID, um, which is sort of really interesting. Uh, he, number nine on the list is somebody named Kelly Brogan, which happens to, who happens to be the girlfriend of Sajid J. She came, claims to practice holistic psychiatry and sells books and courses from her website. Right, which is sort of interesting. Um, she's also an anti-mask uh, uh, wearing person. She mm -hmm. says things like there's no such thing as the coronavirus because it's not possible to prove that any given pathogen has induced death. Um, and uh, she puts on things like that to get forwarded. Uh, again, girlfriend of Sandra J. The last three people, I just want to mention them in case they show up on anybody's radar real quickly at the end of the segment is... Uh, Christiane Northrup, Ben Tapper, and Kevin Jenkins. Again, just because they have medical degrees or they have chiropractic degrees um, or they have a history of partnering with anti-vax people doesn't mean the things they put out there uh, are, out, are true. You know, the last one, Jenkins, called vaccines a conspiracy to wipe out black people. Mm -hmm. Now, these, this, these are not subtle people, right? Um, and like I said, the point of the research is out there is up to 65% of the anti-vax, anti-COVID-19 vax stuff that's out there comes from this, these 12 people. We're running out of time, Isaac, but we're going to come back for our last segment after some underwriting announcements. You're listening to 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. This is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Repovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Continue your studies with Rider University's online and part-time options at rider.edu slash next step. We're back with Dr. Jonathan Karp, only on 1077 The Bronx. One zero seven seven the Bronx. One zero seven seven the Bronx dot com. We are recording again from the remote Bronx studios, and you're listening to the Health Four One One radio program at Rider University. Isaac and I are having a conversation related to the disinformation dozen and the anti-vax movement as it relates to COVID nineteen, and we pointed out before that ninety seven percent of the people now were being hospitalized. Uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic who are dying um, are the unvaccinated people. I find that amazing in this context of people who are still promoting an anti-vax movement out there. Why do you think, Isaac, that people are so distrustful of science? I, I think it's a lack of education or an understanding on how science works. On how, as 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 people, when we learn, get more resources and more things are developed, um, they're not willing to trust it and understand that oh, things do change, you know. So I, I think I think it's the, just a lack of education and last, lack of understanding how how processes work is the big reason why. You, you think so? I, I think um, so. Yeah. But but but. Is is the is the is the lack of understanding? I would add to it distrust, right? Yeah. Is there? Could you imagine a reason 
let's just for example, the American Indian community to distrust, you know, things that the U.S. government tells them. Yes, I there's can think long, of there's a long history, long list, long, long, long list. Yeah, you know, not we don't have to go into it. Is there a reason for members of the Af the Black community to distrust, you know, the government? when it says it's gonna do things. Absolutely, absolutely. But that's political, right? Mm -hmm. The question I'm sort of asking is away from the politics, right? You know, as the data rolls in, as new stuff comes in, are there reasons to just, just you know, my mind's made up, don't confuse me with the data. And why is it? I think it's just that that's ingrained the distrust because of because of just in general that that's ingrained despite data showing otherwise or despite facts showing otherwise. I think it's just ingrained that it's ingrained to know that's like oh well they could be wrong because people make mistakes, even though people don't want to take that I guess that uh, benefit of the doubt or leap of faith may you may say that if anyone does say that leap of faith in saying, hey, the science is actually factual. This is true. This is a hardline data. So, but, I, but some people don't know how to discriminate where we started right. this conversation between what's true and what's not true. There's right. actually been some research on this. And um, I pulled up a couple articles in preparation for our conversation today. I just want to point them out. Um, the title of one, which was published um, in 2021, the title of it was Measuring the Impact of COVID-19 Vaccine Misinformation on Vaccination Intent in the United Kingdom and the United States. And what was very interesting in here is they purposely show, they, they, it, was a, it was a double blind controlled style, randomized thing, and they purposely gave people in the US and um, Great Britain um, exposure to factual information and misinformation about vaccines and COVID-19. What they found, to make a long story short, was um, in this particular paper, in both the US and in the United Kingdom, they were able to influence with misinformation about 6% of the people in their study. And they, this particular study had about 4,000 people in, in, in both countries. I saw in, in some, did some other research, another paper on the same topic, found that they were able to influence about 8% of the population. Why am I pointing this out? Those numbers might sound like a small number of people, but I wanna point out again, 97% of the people who are hospitalized and now dying with the worst sickness are the un, unvaccinated people. Here in New Jersey, as we're recording this, I looked it up, about 58% of New Jersey New Jerseyans have had two doses of the vaccine and 65% of New Jerseyans have had at least one um, dose of the vaccine. That's pretty good. It's pretty similar to the national averages. What do we need in this country to achieve what some people call herd immunity? Everyone needs well, to be vaccinated. Well, right? well, it doesn't have to be 100%, but the estimates are, that I've seen are somewhere between 70 and 85%. We're not close to that in New Jersey. And New Jersey is sort of pretty good with getting immunizations. Now you look at other states, um, and I'm just looking at a chart now, um, you know, Texas, two immunizations is 43%, Delaware is 52, uh, Vermont is 67, um, you know, Washington is 57, um, you know, Mississippi is 34%. You know, 
as a nation, as a country, we have people who move around this country all over the place, right? We're not even close to getting where anywhere near herd immunity. We're not right. even close as a nation. Unbelievable, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. Because I mean, what, the, what some of this research is finding, which I find very interesting, is the studies that are looking at the giving people misinformation and seeing how they respond to it. The breakdown of how people respond to misinformation depends on certain socio demographic um, features. In the study that I mentioned, women were more resistant to some of the misinformation than males. Um, there were things related to um, education level. There were things related to whether you were employed or not employed. And these studies break all these things down. Um, and it's like, you know, if you're in business, um, anybody who wanted to start a business, Isaac, would you say know your audience, know your customers? Yes. Okay. Do you think these people who are promoting misinformation on the internet and sometimes using it to fundraise for their organizations, which is a sense pay themselves, are using it to sell their products? 100%. Do you think they know their audience? Yes, they do. Right. And so, you know, do they expect their audience to go out and do research or no. do they expect their audience just to believe it because they saw it in a tweet or an article on Facebook written by somebody who has letters after their name. One of those people who has letters after their names was one of the proponents that the idea that, you know, the RNA vaccines that are being used, the technology which uses RNA to make the vaccines, you know, changes people's DNA. Right. And we've said that before in this program, it just doesn't make any sense. But for the average person on the street, can you expect them to go out and check the veracity of those statements, to go look at the data? Or is it, no. just, is it just easier to read this stuff and for somebody to say, I read this on Facebook, or I saw this on Twitter, or I you know, saw a YouTube video that somebody put out, that anybody can put out now, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and how do you prove a negative? It's really, really hard. If somebody puts out a couple of those people say things like, like one of them I mentioned, that guy Jenkins called the vaccines a conspiracy to wipe out black people, right? Mm -hmm. How do you, you know, how, how do you say, you know, with the history that's out there with, you know, science, you know, people using science or governments or even germ warfare against Native Americans? Here are some blankets, right? You know, this happened to be infected with smallpox, but don't worry about that. Here are some blankets, right? There's a lot of mistrust with that history that's sort of out there, you know? And you can't, you can say anything and label it free speech. Right. You know? and, it comes, and it comes down to um, what's crossing the line, whether it's free speech, whether, it, whether it's detrimental to, to the people. Well that's, well, well, that's one reason I read the, the, yeah. the statement from the Food and Drug Administration, where they caught somebody, they caught this guy making false statements, trying to sell products that there was no proof out there. But what, what did they ask him to do? They asked him to voluntarily change his websites and take this stuff down. 
right? Even if he was to follow through on that, right? He's probably already made lots of money from right. doing this, right? And this wasn't even the first time that, you know, he was caught. He had to return, you know, two and a half million dollars of customers for buying these tanning beds that he was selling, you know, a decade ago, mm -hmm. right? So if he's returning that much money, how much money did he make to be able to return that? Right? Right. That's so the it's, big it's, question. It's, it's what people in business, people who pollute and do these other things called the sort of the, the present value of what they're doing. If I know I'm going to break the law, right? I'm going to make this much money. I'm going to break the law. But the cost of me getting caught is a fraction of what I'm going to make by doing it. I'm going to keep breaking the law because it's to my economic benefit, even if I get caught because of the present value concept, right? It doesn't matter. It's the cost of doing business. Right. Right. And this is, it's, it's, it's amazing <laughs> to see what people yeah. are willing to do yeah. and to throw out the window as far as their head is for, for the power of the dollar. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and unfortunately, unfortunately, whatever, we live in a society which sometimes, you know, values success in terms of how much money you make, irrespective of what the consequences of that may be. But that's right. a whole other conversation for us right. to have in a different context, Isaac. Um, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we're running out of time for today's conversation. Um, this is 107.7 The Bronx, 107.7 thebronkcom and recording from the remote Bronx studios in New Jersey and Virginia. Thank you for listening to Health 411. This program is part of Rider University's efforts to bring people together to address all sorts of issues associated with health and healthcare. We hope today's conversation has helped inform you about sort of the anti-vaccine movement in the context of COVID-19. If you have questions and or comments about this program, please email us at health411 at rider.edu. That was this week's episode of Health 411 with Dr. Jonathan Karp. Tune in every Sunday at 10 a.m. to learn truthful information about your health and the healthcare industry. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Health 411 to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Ripovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Rider University. We'll see you soon, only on 1077 The Bronx.